Alex. Guckste, hörste, klickste. Mittwoch, 20 Uhr. Hello and welcome to Burlesque on Air, the worldwide first burlesque radio show with our burlesque star, Lada Redstar. Hello, Lada. Hello, our little angel, Suzanne. Oh. Welcome back <laughs> to Burlesque on Air, to our 19th episode. 18th? Sure about it? Yes, yes, yes. Eighteenth. <laughs> well, so we are, we officially can have sex from now on. We're mm -hmm. eighteen year, months old. Years, months old. Nah, yeah, maybe. In Still. our case, maybe we started earlier. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's quickly talk about this episode. It's an amazing episode about black performers in burlesque and black sex. So who are the guests of this episode? The first one of all, and of course she couldn't be anything else but the first one, she's our angel, she's Satan's angel, our legend of burlesque that we already had in the burlesque on air number two that you can listen on our SoundCloud page, so look for Kirkus Radio and then in the group burlesque on air you're going to be able to find this episode. She's going to share from now on every single month her pearls of wisdom. Uh, that corner of the burlesque on air is going to be called Satan's Memories. And this month she's going to talk to us about the role of burlesque performers back in the golden era of burlesque. And after her, let's go to critique a little bit nowadays uh, situation with G's Louise straight from Chicago in our radio show. And then we will move to sex because I couldn't resist more than two uh, guests without then moving to sex and we are going to have a muse, a writer, an artist, a musician, Tristan Negro. I mean you're going to love him. And to end, our burlesque superstar voted number three burlesque performer in the world by 21st century burlesque magazine. You all know who she is. Pearl Noir. This episode is going to be just amazing. It's gonna blow your minds off. So let's scream it loud. Blacks is sex. Sex. Dear listeners of Burlesque on Air, you can hear it from my voice. I am super excited to announce you announce you a new corner of Burlesque on Air that we're going to have every single month. We have the honor to have the legend of legends, the amazing Satan's angel that is going to give us her little glimpses of the golden era of Burlesque and share them with us every single month. Welcome back to Burlesque on Air, Satan's Angel. We are so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy to do this. I love Germany and I love you. Oh, and you. we love you. <laughs> and I'm thrilled that you asked me to do this, you know, because uh, it makes me feel good that, you know, that people like to hear my stories and, and things that happen to me and to know that as an old broad, an old lesbian broad, I am still loved. <laughs> oh, you are loved and you know it very well because the love has been shown on Facebook and everywhere and everyone wants you here in Europe. We want you here. We want to see you perform like... The love for you is just never ending, it never stops, and it comes from all around the world. So we are honored to have you on the show. All right, my darling. So this month's question is, we are treating this uh, month the, uh, the topic of uh, uh, black performers in the burlesque world. So the question is, what are your memories of black performers back in the golden era of burlesque and how were the performers treated back then? Of course, the 1950s and the 60s was a much more, let's just say it, racist <laughs> times than nowadays. So I guess the situation was very different than today. So let us a little bit know. Give us your wisdom on this topic this month, please. <laughs> <laughs> my wisdom you're so cute <laughs> well I am 
of the 60s. I started in 1961. And believe it or not, uh, I was born in San Francisco, and we weren't that prejudiced in San Francisco because San Francisco was always a wild and crazy town. Uh, But when you traveled on the road, oh, my God, you talk about prejudice. Wow. I mean, we could not go through the front door, even if you were allowed to bring your luggage through the front door of the club. No, 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 no. Queers and anybody of color, it was the back door. And to to bring a point up, uh, when I worked with Tony Elling, who was um, Duke Ellington's girlfriend for many, many years. Wow. I went to work with her in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And she was highly received because it was now. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to Ellie, uh, to Tony, I said, you're a legend. They need to pay for everything for you. You're an old woman. You need help, assistance, you need food every day. You know, you need all these little perks because we wear out easy. We're only 40-something years or 50-something years older than you are. So if you think you're tired after a show tonight, think about yourself 50 years older. Mm-hmm. You know? So I said, you you got to start out, we'll just say $500. You have to start out at least at $500. you are a legend or more. <laughs> And she said to me, I told her what to do. She went to the the um, festival people and demanded her. She had a contract and said, this is what she wants. And she got it. And you know what she said to me? Yeah, that I don't know. First, first time in her entire life that she made more than $250 a week. Wow. So to compare, for example, to what you or a white performer would make at the same era, what was the I difference? I made 1000 she made $250. Yeah. Because they didn't know I was queer unless yeah. somebody told them, which they did all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then they would beat you up oh. and throw your shit in the snow or the dirt just immediately. Won't, wouldn't pay you. You're stuck in... Shitsville, Tennessee, or Iowa, or somewhere, you know? It's not like you're in a big city and catch a bus. You're just stranded. Yeah. You have no place to go. You're sitting on your luggage crying and going, what am I going to do? Well, they treated the black performer even worse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would steal their wardrobe. If they worked for a week and, and they had they were getting paid that night, They didn't get paid. They worked them twice as hard. They had to, like, if you worked in a club where you would sit with customers, these women had to work twice as hard. They had to do everything double, triple harder. Asians, the same way. Oh, my gosh, it was awful. It was terrible. So Uh, You had to be a straight white woman. Yeah. So here we're talking mostly about uh, most mostly about the promoters, of course. But what was the reaction of the audience when a black performer was on stage? They loved it. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. And there was never... No, they, yeah. Every... No, I'm not saying every man, but, you know, if you had 300 people in the audience, 200 wanted to sleep with her. <laughs> but... The way they would do it is they would sneak off and sneak to some sleazy motel and whatever. And then yet the same guy could date the Caucasian woman and take her to the best hotels and the best restaurants because you couldn't take a black woman into a restaurant. They couldn't even use the restroom, the, the, the restrooms, the bathrooms. Oh they God. had to go outside, and there was either an outhouse or an outside toilet. 
It was terrible. They didn't even let the the women of races and colors. Some of them weren't even our, in our dressing rooms. Wow. They were like they they had the black plague, the the, the leprosy, uh, some you know terrible disease. Yeah, and no it's, matter how beautiful, how good, how fabulous their wardrobe was, it didn't make any difference. Yeah. They were not white. And, Truly a prejudice, and mm-hmm. especially in the South. Wow, oh, and it's amazing God. that although the situation was that one, those women still kept going for the love of burlesque yes. and, of course, for the love of, you know, their job. And they still went on stage every single night and gave all they had. And Absolutely. they never gave up. And so... Never. A big up to those women, and uh, luckily the situation has changed a little bit now. And uh, a big kiss to all the black burlesque legends and all the black women that uh, made and changed history uh, of women and the history of the world and of our society, of course. Thank you so much, my darling, for this. I love you. I'm sorry I'm so truthful out there and I didn't mean to offend anybody. No, you didn't. They're just up inside of me. (laughs) It was wonderful. Thank you so much for this month's pearl of wisdom. So talk to you next month and we can already say to our listeners that we are going to talk about lingerie. So get yourself ready satans oh my god <laughs> we do have a legend that is the queen of the lingerie yes world. yes yes we do so let's talk about it next month bye my darling Six. Dear listeners of Burlesque on Air, we're back, we're back with our next guest. We have an amazing burlesque personality straight from Chicago, Jeez Louise. Hi! Welcome to Burlesque on Air, we're super excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, thank you. You have such a sweet voice. (laughs) Thank you so much. So who is Jeez Louise, the powerhouse of the Midwest, the honey badger of burlesque? Tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, um, Well, based on those two taglines, you would think that I'm a little more outlandish, but I am a little bit shy and soft-spoken sometimes, surprisingly. (laughs) Well... (laughs) The reason we are calling you is to give us your opinion uh, about actually a little video that you made where you weren't soft-spoken. Actually, you <laughs> spoke your mind uh, quite uh, quite openly and uh, with so much passion. And our radio show uh, this month is dedicated to the question of POC, so people of color uh, burlesque performers and the uh, role that the black performers have in the burlesque community today, and especially how they are treated by the promoters in particular. So, of course, you had a very um, uh, opinion, opinionated uh, video that you posted uh, uh, on yeah. your YouTube uh. channel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was, um, well, maybe we don't have to say in particular, uh, what, I mean, who was it addressed to, or you can, as, as, as you want. But it was... Uh, um, talking about uh, burlesque shows not being representative of the black performers, of of the POC uh, burlesque performers. So, Mm -hmm. and talking as well about cultural appropriation and uh, something that is getting quite common nowadays, which is, for example, twerking on stage and so on. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more uh, your opinion about it. Um, yeah, that video was definitely opinionated. Um, it took me a minute to actually make that video because I didn't want, you know, I wanted to speak my mind and just let anybody else out there that was feeling the same way or had the same thoughts about certain situations know that they're not alone as well. Um, but it was a, a bit of a delicate situation, especially with cultural appropriation it can be a fine line you know like it's easy to get into nitpicking but you also want to continuously call it out and let it be known that it's not okay 
at all. Um, exactly. So to use your word, you said us POC performers need to call out shit when we see it. So I mm-hmm. guess it's good that here we talk about it here on the radio show as well. And especially because in Europe, I feel that uh, things are a little bit softer here. And uh, it's very as well for us something quite new. And we don't know exactly which language to use. What is something that could be offensive? What is something that it's not offensive? Because just in Europe, there's this free and you know bohemian bohemian freedom that uh, maybe some things are not seen in such like a deep and un, you know delicate ways as in the United States so you're very curious actually to discover these things and inform uh, ourselves at the first place and of course our listeners as well so maybe you can tell us a little bit no yeah you can tell us a little bit more I mean what is right is what is not right to do <laughs> Um, well, you bring up an interesting point, especially being from different cultures and different continents and countries. Um, you know, you guys are getting an understanding of what it's like just here in America. And I'm sure you have your own issues in your parts of the world as well. Um, but for example, it's just, you know, a little bit of what I talked about in the video is more so along the lines of black culture being appropriated and when it is done by black women in burlesque or black entertainers in any kind of art form um it can be seen as you know not classy or looked down upon or as a joke but then you know when a certain type of performer a non-black non-poc performer Mm -hmm. takes it and it gets whitewashed um in popular culture and even in burlesque, it is hard to understand, you know, especially in burlesque, it's supposed to be, you know, this community and feminism and all of this stuff. It's hard to understand how that still happens in this art form. Yeah. But also, you know, with the way that the country is run and the principles that it's been built upon, it's not that hard to understand at all. Yeah, and it feels sort of very touchy from, I mean, I'm talking, you know, in my name, from a white performer to talk it because I feel oh my god, I'm gonna say something wrong, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't call this this name, you know, should I twerk, should I not twerk, and so on. So it feels like such a touchy argument on both sides, and then sometimes we just end up not talking about it, and it creates yeah, even more problems. Yeah, I problem. understand, I understand. And I think the most important thing is to always just remember to listen first, you know, and just hear um, what's going on and what people are saying, and you know, try to listen before we try to talk about any solutions fully. Exactly. So another thing, like, I mean, when we talk about cultural appropriation, what is, how how would you like, I mean, which directions and would you, uh, you know, tell to to us like what i mean what is cultural when is you know when are we stepping the line when when are we going too far with cultural appropriation and when is just a question of a world that it's globalized today where cultures mix actually so sometimes things can be an homage for example to african or other cultures and when it's actually cultural appropriation Mm -hmm. yeah and that is the thing is that sometimes it is just cut and dry and it's can, for me, it can be hard to explain, but I know when I see it and how it makes me feel and how it's made other people feel. I think one of the great examples is one of the biggest discussions that we had in our industry a couple of years ago with Shanghai Pearl um, discussing Dita Von Teese's Opium Den yes. and how it was appropriate and offensive to Asian culture. And but I mean, at the same time, yeah. was very tragic yeah. for a lot of people but at at the same time I mean we are I think like 100% sure that Dita had obviously good intentions so when it comes from a good heart then you know it's quite tricky then to um, yeah address it as cultural appropriation as I mean something that uh, a person has done with bad intention when we I think we are 100% sure that of of course Dita didn't have those intentions so it's uh, it would be good if we would be able to explain like when when people cross the line, when is the time to stop? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that would be an example. I mean, I understand, we all understand that no one has any ill intentions, but that would be one of the times that it would 
you know, be imperative to hear people out when they're saying that something makes them uncomfortable and figure out how to, um, you know, rectify that and talk about that. Um, trying to think of specific examples, you know, I don't know of any specific examples where somebody did have ill, you know, malicious intent per se. Yeah. You know, I know that there's not burlesque dancers out there just thinking of horrible things that they can do to offend somebody. Yeah. But it is important that if it does happen, even if, you know, the collective agreement is, well, I don't think it's offensive. I didn't see a problem yeah. with it. If somebody or a couple of people are saying that it is, I think it's important to just discuss why. Yeah. So, for example, there was, like I said, in the video, an act or just in general, when you see someone feeling like they have to put on a costume, for example, mm-hmm. like if somebody wanted to do a Native American dance and they mm-hmm. have a absolutely no kind of ties to the Native American culture and are just putting it on as a costume and mocking it, that's an example of cultural appropriation. And it can be the same with twerking and dancing. And I never once said that I had a problem with white people twerking or doing (laughs) any type of (laughs) dances like that, which is what a lot of people took it as. But it is easy to see when someone is putting it on as a costume and as a joke. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because actually your video was a little bit of a response of uh, a video from another performer, Akina Shakira, that said... uh, can you just stop twerking, white girls? Like, twerking is our shit coming from Africa. So that, you know, that they were, were her words. So, oof, this twerking thing is getting, like, a lot of... Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's I'm getting get, fired I teach, up. I love teaching people how to dance, and I love teaching my twerk and jerk class. So, like, exactly. you know, I understand, but it, I... Yes, I understand both sides, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you have a lot of white people attending your twerking classes, right? And uh, at least that means they are trying to learn it, you know, in a good, yeah. Yeah, inform themselves about it. Yeah, I do have a so, lot of white people that come take the class. I don't have that very many, you know, I've never seen anybody take my class and then immediately make an act that was offensive yeah. with those skills, you know. So let's talk a little bit about this famous history of twerking. Do you do you know a little bit of the history of twerking? So at least we know all this African history of twerking and we can honor it next time that we twerk, even in our bedrooms, alone in front of our mirrors. <laughs> There's a lot of infor- information out there, actually. You know, it's yeah. surprising because people do act like it's brand new and we yeah. talk about it in my class for sure. But... You know, the most common knowledge is that it is a form of African dancing, mm-hmm. particularly from the West Coast, the Ivory Coast, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and there's videos that you can watch on the Internet. It's not exactly the same type of movement, but it's the same, um, you know, not in the same context, but it's the same type of movement for sure. And, you know, twerking and bouncing and all that has been going on since forever and the 90s were super hot and that's when it started blowing up with music and you started hearing the word twerk especially from new orleans shout out um and it just you know it's been but you know people we didn't always call it that back in the day twerking is relatively what was it know, called heard. what was it called back in the 90s i mean that's when twerking started in the okay. early 90s the first time that I know of that it was on a song is in 92 or 93, I believe. But I know that, you know, before that, it was, you know, called different things. I don't know the exact words, booty shaking, whatever, (laughs) you know, dances go through changes and regenerations all the time. Yeah. So your last word, I guess it's going to be, let's just all talk about it. 
when we are not sure about if we are offending someone or not, let's just put the word out there and see what the response is from the person that could be offended by it. Are they offended? Are they not offended? Let's inform each other, uh, ourselves about the history of uh, things, of movements, of dances, of uh, forms of art. And uh, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think that anybody should be out there creating their art with the specific intention of stressing themselves out about whether it's offensive or not offensive. I feel like for the most part, you know, you know if something is going to strike somebody the wrong way, but just be prepared to be called out on it or be prepared to have a civil discussion about it. Yeah. Anyway, mm -hmm. let's burlesque be a message of peace, a message of unity. <laughs> let's leave at least us performers in this dream world where we all love each other and we all perform together and there are no problems of racism or any other uh, problem of the world. So let's just live our life in our beautiful burlesque bubble, right? <laughs> That would be, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> yes, let's just do it then. <laughs> All right, Gisley, so we're coming to the end of this interview. Uh, we would love to know if you have one last message for us, if there's anything uh, special that you want to say to the listeners of Burlesque on Air. We were very excited to have you in the show. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, You know, I just want to say... Keep being yourself, keep being true to yourself and don't waver in your convictions and don't be out there acting a mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Don't be out there acting a mess. Okay. <laughs> great. great. Thank you very, very much. Bye. No Thank you. Bye. Six. Dear listeners of Burlesque on Air, and we are finally to the part that you expect the most of this radio show when we talk about sex. Oh yes, we know you love that part. And this episode is even more special because it's about black sex and we have a black sex symbol. My dreams are so wet when I think about him. <laughs> Welcome to Burlesque on Air. Air. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing very, very, very good. So, who is this special guest, uh, dear listeners of Burlesque on Air? His name is Tristan Negro. He is a writer, he is a musician, he is an icon, and he was especially, in particular, an underground personality and icon in Berlin a few years ago. Why is he in our burlesque show, in our radio show? Because he was as well an escort in Berlin, so we're coming back to sex. And as well, he wrote an amazing book called Ho Confessionals, when he writes, where he writes all of his dirty Berlin stories. So Tristan, tell us a little bit more about it. Tell us a little bit about the sexy Berlin when you were living here. You have to keep in mind that when I lived in Berlin, I moved there in 2003, 2004. And at that time, Berlin really was like New York used to be in the late 70s, early 80s. It was very sexy, very underground, very um, spur of the moment. You could do anything you wanted to do. The only difference between the cities was the money. You know, in New York, you had the money, you had Studio 54, and you had stars, and you had money as well. In Berlin, we did everything that they did in New York, but there was no money. <laughs> well, maybe that was making it even more special, right? And yes, more it just was. Like... I mean, you had, because, you know, in Berlin, the thing is, there were no divides, there were no racial divides, there were no sexual divides. Everybody was into each other. You could talk to anybody. There was no gay, you know, straight. There was no, everybody was together. Yeah, so we were talking about it uh, in this episode about our burlesque legends that as black performers were treated very, very, very differently back uh, back in the 50s. And we had another uh, guest, uh, uh, a performer from Chicago, Jeez Louise, that was telling us about how black burlesque performers are treated nowadays and still some problems coming up. So mm -hmm. I wanted to know if you were feeling free and with no color at all, like a mixture of all colors in Berlin. Was Berlin feeling like more welcoming back in the days or how, like how, how were things here? 
I would say like what really prompted me to move to Europe in the first place is I'm American mm -hmm. and I grew up learning about Josephine Baker yes. and all the other stars that came over. And I knew that if I moved to Europe, that it would be different for me as a, an American, because I think the way that black Americans are treated overseas and Africans are treated overseas are very different. Mm -hmm. Like I got treated better, I would say in general, but I was also more objectified. Oh. But I, I had to find a way to make it make it work for me. You know, I would do shows with my white American friends at places and they would ask me, are you really American? <laughs> or, you know, or they would try to pay me less uh -oh. or, or nothing at all mm -hmm. because I was not white. And they were like, because for them, if you're not white, you're not American. I said, I'm born and raised in my country. Mm -hmm. So why you, if you're not going to pay me, I'm going to find a way to stay in this country and stay in this city that I love and do what I want to do. So I found a way. Amazing. So which kind of performances were you doing here in Berlin? Um, I, I was a dancer for mm -hmm. many clubs. We used to throw fetish parties at the Kit Kat um, Club, Sage Club, Bergheim, everywhere. I danced for a lot of bands. I had my own glam rock band, Scandal Dust. Um, spoken word, pretty much everything, which is what was great about Berlin. You really could do everything that you wanted to do artistically. Mm -hmm. And you could take a chance because it was such an inexpensive city. Like I could do poetry readings one night and then I could do a show with my band singing. The next night I could dance for a rock band and then another night I'd be throwing a party at the Kit Kat Club with almost half naked. <laughs> that was Berlin. And it was like nobody cared, nudity, nobody cared. So it's like, if I'm going to be in this city, I'm going to take advantage of these things and learn everything. Learn from burlesque, learn from electro, learn from rock, learn from punk, everything. I took all of these things and I found a way to stay there for seven years. <laughs> Amazing. Did it? Uh, did Berlin change you in a way? No, it, it definitely changed me because it made me a better artist. You know, I'm a classically trained opera singer. Oh, I, class I studied classical music from maybe seven years of age until 22. So when I moved to Europe, I didn't want to do that anymore. And mm -hmm. so moving to Berlin, I had to learn electro. I had to learn the electro scene because that was the biggest genre. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to make money, I had to learn how to do burlesque performance and do my own shows find my own clothes and styling, all these things, DJing. I did all of these things because you have no choice in Berlin. You really have to take everything you can artistically <laughs> to make some money from it. Amazing. So let's get to the point again. How was sex in Berlin? No, oh, it was great. I mean, it's very, it's a very hedonistic city. And I will say this, being a black person there, when I lived in Berlin, keep in mind, there were very, very few black people. Mm -hmm. even more even fewer than they are now and there still aren't that many so i remember going out and being propositioned left and right from men women couples every night pretty much every single night so like for me being there it really was like being a just a walking fetish yes <laughs> so like if, you're, if you're if you're not like the thing is if you're not white and you're in europe you're going to get a lot more attention because they're we're so rare so I, <laughs> After maybe two or three months, you know, I, I was over it. Because, you know, if, when you live there, it's different than from when you visit. Yeah. Because a lot of friends of mine that are Black or Latino or Asian, you know, they come there and they say, oh, my God, I love it. I love it. I said, trust me, once you live here, you'll be over it. Because <laughs> it's, it's every day, everywhere you go, from the Starbucks you go to get coffee to the church, to your streets, to your, you know, it's everywhere all day. Yeah, but I mean, Tristan, with your beautiful smile, it's not only about the color of your skin. I mean, you're hot, period. You know, it's Thank not about... You know, it is like the thing is, I, I, like, I, I like to think that I have other attributes other than like my look, because that's a gift that my parents gave me. Like, it's not something that I had to work on. My of parents course. gave me this. Like, I can talk to people. I'm engaging. I'm funny. Those things are not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> live places like this. When you live in Europe and you're not the majority, those things are not necessary. You can just walk into the club and be not white European. You'll do quite well. <laughs> quite well, no matter what you look like, honestly. So tell us a little bit more about Whole Confessionals. We are uh, looking right now at your Facebook pages, facebook.com slash Whole Confessionals. And there are many, many quotes. Maybe you remember one by heart that you would like to... Um, say to us uh well the basis of the book the way the mm. way it even really started 
it was about the sin, the Sodom and Gomorrah. And the main one that's at the front of the page mm-hmm. goes something like um, the main one screaming about their halo mm-hmm. are the main ones using it as a cockering. <laughs> oh, I love the one as well. I told Mother Nature to suck it and that bitch swallowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 that was because it was really like the way the book even happened is I would write every day in Berlin because I would have amazing stories every day. And I never was a writer before I moved there. I would just like write emails to a friend of mine who was a burlesque performer. And she was like, Tristan, you need to write. So I was like, I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. And she says, these stories that you're sending me on our little emails daily, these are stories that could be in a book. Who was so the just, burlesque performer? We want to know. Uh, Dahlia Schweitzer. She's a she's a an American. She was there when I lived there. Okay. She was like queen of the electro cabaret scene at the time. Wow. And she was, but she, her main job is she wanted to be a writer, but she used her music to advertise her writing. So I started dan- doing clubs with her, doing shows with her, dancing for her on her tours, blah, blah, blah. And she, one day she said, you need to be a writer. I was like, I'm not a writer. She says, yes, you are. So that's how it even happened. Every every chapter in the book is just a short story. That's all. All the stories are true, and they involve all some of my friends that you know that still live in Berlin. The names have just been changed to protect the the guilty or innocent. Oh, oh, okay. So tell us <laughs> one very very guilty story that it's in your book. The naughtiest one. Um, I, I don't know the naughtiest one because it depends on. The dirtiest one, the dirtiest one. We we had um, some of the principalities, some of the, um, not kings and queens, but some of the royal family from from Austria. What? (laughs) Okay. They would come to our shows um, when we used to be at um, White Trash. Mm -hmm. But we didn't know who they were. They were just these women, older women that would come backstage and like touch us and grab on us. And then they'd run away. (laughs) And then finally we were like, who is this woman? They were like, that is the blah, blah, blah. I can't say the name. I was like, oh, that. that." (laughs) So she was like literally grabbing me, my crotch all night, stroking me up and down. I was like, who is this woman? Touch me. And then we found out like later, like weeks later, who she was and who her family was. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, really? So, I mean, there are a lot of stories like that. I had a story where um, we did a show and I was having a conversation like we are now at the Kit Kat Club and a woman right next to us. She was being fisted. Whoa. (laughs) Just kept our conversation going. Well, that's not very surprising in the Kit Kat Club, right? (laughs) But it was our first time there. So, you know. That wasn't normally my scene, but then that became like one of my biggest scenes because it paid more. <laughs> so what about your career of escort in Berlin? Tell us a little bit more about it. No, it's funny because it, it's the, my, my book is based out of Berlin, but most of my um, escorting didn't take place in Berlin because they didn't pay. You know, in Berlin, they would, it's a very poor city and they didn't want to pay. So yeah. most of my clients were actually not in Germany. They were like, the first year and a half, I was flown out of the country maybe two or three times a month to Belgium. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Belgium is a big, it. like, escort country. <laughs> yes. They would, it was funny because I, they, this, I met this couple. My first clients were a couple. Mm-hmm. And I met them and I saw them for one weekend. They said, oh, we really liked you. Um, can you come back? I was like, sure. When do you want me to come back? And I was thinking maybe, like, a few weeks. And they were like, we want you to come back tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> 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 So I went back the next day and I stayed for overnight. And then they were like, can you come back again? I was like, when? It's like next week. And so every week, like the first, I would say the first year, I would go fly from Berlin to Antwerp or Brussels. Mm. Every two to three weeks, I would be there. And I would go two to three weeks a month for the first year and a half. So I didn't really have any other clients. (laughs) Well, what was your weirdest client? Oh, I had one client who wanted me to strangle him. Well, but that's common. Come on. Well, no, it I mean, wasn't. I love to be strangled too. Well, I mean, it was it wasn't the point. It, that wasn't the point. The whole point is he didn't say this beforehand. So it was like, okay, at that point of like coming, he grabs my hands and like forced me to strangle him, <laughs> which was a little bit much. I mean, I've had I've had a client where he called me for his wife, but he really wanted me for him. <laughs> I had one where. Um, an employee called one for his boss 
but then they were both with me. So this, I was like, oh, this is very awkward. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of stories. It's 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 crazy. I had one story where I passed out, <laughs> from, and I woke up and I was like naked on floor and I didn't know where I was. Oh, wow, and that's so, actually a scary story, huh? Well, it wasn't that? It was like I had too much wine. It wasn't one of the story where they gave me they drugged me or anything. It was like I had drank too much wine and I smoked too much grass and then I literally just fell asleep. <laughs> so, Well, one of the quotes of whole confessionals in an exceptional life is an authentic one. And your life was, was certainly an authentic life. And you are sharing your life in the different volumes of whole confessionals. Just promote yourself a little bit. You felt you have a few less minutes to promote, to promote all of your work. So just go for it. Three, two, one now. Okay. You can, you can catch my website that's updated daily covering. Um, news, entertainment, fashion, and more. It's www.verbalslaps.com. That's verbalslaps.com. You can catch me on Twitter at Tristan212. That's T-R-I-S-T-O-N-212. You can also join me on Facebook at Tristan Negro, T-R-I-S-T-O-N-N-E-G-R-E-A-U-X. And my band is Scandal Dust, S-K-A-N-D-A-L. Dust, D-U-S-T, on Reverb Nation. ReverbNation.com slash Scandal Dust. And your and next book? And your and next my book? book is available on Amazon. Amazing. So thank you very much for being with us and sharing your stories. I wish we had a full episode just for you, but we might do it in the future, actually, because we are just discovering an amazing personality and uh, we were very proud to have you on the show. So thank you very much and I hope to talk to you soon again. No, thank you. That was very fun. <laughs> Bye. I have a nice one. Dear listeners of Burlesque on Air, we have come to this super exciting moment to interview the queen of queens. And anyway, for sure, the queen of my heart. And, <laughs> and nobody's going to put in doubt that. I mean, let's just name a few of the prizes that she won. Burlesque Hall of Fame, first runner-up 2015, Most Dazzling 2012, second runner-up 2009, Best <laughs> Debut 2008, New Orleans Burlesque, first queen of burlesque title holder, and so, 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 so much more. I mean, her career, the, the CV could be just endless. Anyway... Oh. <laughs> I mean, come on. You have been voted one of the best three performers in the world by 21st Century Burlesque magazine. You have starred in the uh, Nita Funti's uh, show Strip Strip Hooray and so and so and so on. And of course, one of the uh, main points of your career was to finally uh, perform in an opera, in a Cindy opera. Who is this mysterious performer that I'm talking about? The Mahogany Queen of Burlesque herself, Pearl Noir. All hail the Queen. <laughs> Welcome to Burlesque on Air. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. And Lada, I just adore you so very much. I I'm, I feel honored to have received that lovely introduction from you today. <laughs> I just adore you very much. Thank you. I mean, I had to keep it short because otherwise I could have gone for one full hour of radio show just talking about you and how much I love you. <laughs> Pearl, you have a quite a funny story of how you uh, started with burlesque. And I know that you went to Las Vegas and everything was quite hectic when you arrived there. So tell us a little bit more about your debuts in burlesque. Well, um, so I began my career uh, a while back when I was just a little taught. Um, I decided that I had to create my own destiny. So I packed up a backpack and a couple of hundred dollars and got on a bus of all things <laughs> and um, <laughs> made my pilgrimage to Las Vegas from Texas, which takes a few days. And I arrived in the beautiful city and, um, you know, it was very hard in the beginning because I only had a backpack worth of clothing <laughs> and um, a couple of hundred of dollars. And, you know, I just sort of worked my way around the city and ended up landing a gig in, in what I thought at the time was the most beautiful sign from the universe. So I ended up landing a gig 
uh, backup dancing and singing at the Excalibur, mm -hmm. which is a castle. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> The I queen has already found her throne yes. from the beginnings. I said, I said, this is where I belong. I belong in this castle. And um, after working in Las Vegas for a few years, unfortunately, September 11th happened, mm -hmm. um, which ended tourism. And be but be because of that, I landed, I found myself um, performing in New Orleans. And that's where I learned all about the burlesque legends like Wild Cherry and Rita Alexander and and Tony Elling and Lottie the Body. And so that sort of, that was sort of the catalyst to my burlesque career, because if I hadn't moved from Las Vegas, I would, you know, I never would have gone to New Orleans. And if I hadn't gone to New Orleans, I never would be here talking to you. Aww, it all brings <laughs> us, the destiny brought us together, Pearl. It is, it is, it is, it is our destiny. <laughs> So let's get to the topic of this episode. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you have made yourself a spokeswoman for the uh, POC um, performers, mm -hmm. right? And I, I, I have an amazing quote from you, from you that I really, really love that I think it's uh, just some, in a few sentences, the message that you want to spread to this world. And it's this one. I don't march. However, I protest in my own way. I've made it my mission to showcase the beauty and opulence of brown skin. I do so by honoring the men and women who made my livelihood possible. I take a stand by presenting acts that celebrate my glamorous roots. Glamour has many faces. Burlesque has many faces. History will not repeat itself. From the girl dancing with a banana skirt to the queen dancing in the Sydney Opera House, I am burlesque. Oh, oh. yes. Oh, I love you, Lada. Excuse that me. Snaps. You know, <laughs> oh, I, I just, that gives me chills. Um, for me, being a black burlesque performer, from the very beginning, and, and this actually happened before I became a burlesque performer, my entire life growing up in America and growing up in the South, my color of melanin is not celebrated, even within my own community of Black people in the South. I've always been told that I was too dark, and being a dark-skinned woman means being ugly. Being a dark-skinned woman means that you are only limited to... Um, a certain type of fantasy, which usually means a savage one. And when I found myself in burlesque, I found myself constantly fighting with producers saying, yes, I love Josephine Baker, but mm -hmm. to be quite honest, I never really wanted to do the banana skirt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was working with Bust Out Burlesque in Brick Delop. That was his idea to do the banana skirt, which I understand because that image is the most popular that really resonates with people. Yeah. But I don't find it. I didn't think it was her most glamorous or appealing look. Mm -hmm. And I constantly had to fight to say to him, okay, I've done the banana skirt for years now, I think I can pull off doing a, a skirt or, you know, a, a gown and being more opulent and celebrating um, my heritage. Because for me, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out here. Uh, Egypt is, in fact, part of Africa. And mm -hmm. for me, <laughs> because the Egyptians were the epitome of this grandiose um, lifestyle and the way they dressed, I think they were just so immaculate in the way their minds worked. For me, Egyptians are the epitome of glamour mm -hmm. and it starts from the Egyptians in my personal opinion. So for someone to try to tell me that I don't have the right to present myself as a glamorous woman is absurd to me and quite offensive. And so I, I had to fight with producers for years to finally be able to get booked now doing my gown acts. Mm -hmm. uh, but it took it took me a long time fighting with producers and it took me honestly a long time to train the audience believe it or not to accept me with heels on and a gown versus seeing me do uh, the African moves and doing my toe touches which I love and celebrate but it's not the only thing that I can do and it's not the only image that a black woman can celebrate well Pearl you have trained the audience so well 
that I think I think you have broke you have broken all the records of the number of standing ovations in a career. So that oh. I forgot to tell that in the CV that <laughs> that I named before. But uh, talking about talking about that, I mean, you receive a standing ovation every single freaking time you do a show. That's amazing. But talking about that, I mean, um, I read in one of your interviews that uh, although you were receiving a standing ovation every single night in this uh, show that you were headlining in the US, they still mm-hmm. wouldn't put you on the poster. They would put a white, thin, white woman, a white, thin, yes. uh, uh, white performer uh, on the poster. So, yeah, exactly. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it. And uh, yeah, what is the vision yeah. of the of the of the beauty in America right now? Well, uh, let me just start by saying there is nothing more disheartening than receiving a title or receiving a standing ovation night after night and and feeling like you've accomplished something feeling like you've you know because by i just want to say you know things have changed you know i'm not going through the back door to go into these venues to headline mm-hmm. and i'm not going through the kitchen but a producer still won't use my image because it isn't what they think burlesque looks like or my type of face isn't what you would call mainstream beauty. And and it, it just was really disheartening so much to the point to where I, I actually stopped working with a number of producers. You know, you want to book me because you want me to bring that energy and the connection that I have with the audience, which I find to be very unique, but you can't use my image even though I'm the one they're coming for because of sponsors or because you just don't think I'm pretty enough, then I, then I will no longer be a part of your show. I will no longer help you to generate income and revenue in my name, in my hard work and my sweat and tears. So in a sense, they, they made me a stronger woman and made me a better business woman and, and, and it challenged me to really value myself as a performer and my value my voice and my and my image um and 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 although it isn't mainstream and it isn't ideal in america because in america america has always celebrated um white women and and i don't think there's anything wrong with that I, i i love looking at all different types of women um but i think it's a problem when when you have someone who like you said gives makes people move to their feet, but you won't use their image. I, I really think that's a real issue in America, unfortunately. Pearl Noir for president right now. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. That is exactly what I'm going to do, Lada. Thank you. <laughs> so you have, <laughs> so you have sort of made it your mission, right? To help women that mm-hmm. have a different type of body and as well, I mean, uh, a a different color of skin than what is considered mainstream as beautiful. I mean, you have uh, made of yourself like a healing performer almost, right? Yes, thank you for noticing that. Um, Burlesque for me, uh, I always like to tell people that I didn't really choose burlesque, it chose me. I'm so grateful that the stars and the moon listened to my cries um, because this is an art form where everyone is sort of um, embraced me. Uh, you know, unlike most performers I know, I don't have any formal training. So I think that's why I have made it my mission to, to sort of focus on connecting. So that way when people look at me and if they're different or if they feel like the weirdo or the outcast or the black sheep, they can look at me and, and find some sort of inspiration. Because for me, burlesque and performing, you know, I, I grew up... Um, I grew up severely bullied and picked on. So to be told your entire life that you're not worthy, then to go to get to performing on stage and then receiving a standing ovation, it was quite the therapeutic and cathartic experience for me. So what I've done now is made it my mission to use burlesque as therapy for people who are heartbroken, for people, um, uh, you know, people who have suffered from abuse. Uh, be it sexual or physical or emotional abuse. And so when I'm doing my performances, that's what I'm thinking about. And 
this year, actually, I've decided to focus solely on I'm going to still perform live, but my mission right now is um, doing my healing through seduction workshops, which is not about seducing a partner per se, but taking a moment to use burlesque to heal old wounds and to seduce your reflection. Oh, amazing. And uh, it's really interesting because actually my next act that I've just created has sort of exactly the same philosophy in the act. So I'm very proud to share this uh, little uh, vision of burlesque with you. Yes. uh, But tell us a little secret about these workshops. Tell us just a little bit what, share with us uh, one of the main points of this workshop. So maybe, you know, people will attend it, but we have a a little special lesson from you tonight. Mm -hmm. What I like to do is a connection exercise that I do before I go on stage. And the secret that I would share is getting in front of the mirror, first of all, by yourself is challenging, but doing it with strangers or even friends is one of the most difficult things to do. And what I find that people have the most difficult thing doing in this workshop and what I'd like to help them overcome is to simply say, are you ready for this? Hold on to your seat, guys. (laughs) Hold on. We are holding on our microphones. (laughs) I am beautiful and I like myself. Hallelujah. Praise Perlamar. <laughs> so that, if I had to tell a secret, that would be the most powerful moment in the class. And then also looking at a stranger without speaking, but connecting just with the eyes and telling yourself that it's okay to let your ghosts go to leave your ghost behind, that it's okay now to release the pain of your ghost so that they can walk into the light and that it's okay to let your tears become rainbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I only want to walk toward the light of this tunnel if at the end of this tunnel there's you, Pearl. I'm there. Okay, okay. I'm there. It's a Swarovski rainbow. (laughs) Oh my God. And I'm holding it in the palm of my hand. Oh my God, Pearl, look. I don't even, I mean, I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not even capable of ending this interview. I mean, I'm not worth this moment with you. This was so magical and so special. And we are so honored to have you on our radio show. So thank you so, so, so much for being with us tonight. And we hope to have you back for some more uh, Pearls of Wisdom from you, Queen. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. I love you all. Thank you so much for your love and support. (laughs) Bye. Bye. And dear listeners, we have come to the end of this episode and I hope that you, Suzanne, have noticed something very exceptional in this episode that I could have and should have. I have not made one single joke about size of penises. I mean, wait. I mean, this is improvement. I'm really super surprised about that, Lara. And I think many male listeners are relieved now. Yeah, let's keep this for the next episode then, Lara, which is going to be aired on the 17th February. Responsible for the show is me, Suzanne. And if you should get bored in the meantime, dear listeners, you can check our Facebook page www.facebook.com slash burlesqueonair. There you will get the latest updates and you can see some naughty pictures. Yes, because irresponsible for the show was La the Red Star. Goodbye to everyone and see you next month. Goodbye. Mwah. <laughs>